listening to the Brookside Church Sermon Podcast. We are a progressive and inclusive community of faith in the heart of Morris County, New Jersey, reminding everyone that they are the beloved child of God. For more information, visit us online at brooksidechurch.org. God of friends and families, we are linked together in a community of friendship and support. As we pray, teach us to pray for one another. As we rejoice together, let us remember those who cannot be with us today. And as we share your gifts of love, strength, courage, and wisdom, and may we know your joy and share it broadly. May we grow together in understanding, in sympathy with each other's difficulties, in patience with each other's faults, and in grace to be your people together. Amen. The scripture reading today is from Mark 3, verses 25 through 35. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Thank you, Hope. Um, and uh, I'm going to keep going in that verse just a little bit on one of the things. This is the continuing in uh, on the passage just next to that. And then Jesus' mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who are my mothers and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my mother, is brother and sister. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I uh, am going to start with a uh, poem. This is by a poet named uh, Starhawk, and it's called Community Means Strength. We are all longing to go home to some place. We have never been. A place half remembered and half envisioned. We can only catch glimpses of, from time to time, community. Somewhere there are people to whom we can speak with passion without having the words to catch it in our throats. Somewhere a circle of hands will open to receive us. Eyes will light up as we enter. Voices will celebrate with us whenever we come into our own power. Community means strength that joins our strength to do the work that needs to be done. Arms to hold us when we falter. A circle of healing. A circle of friends. Some place where we can be free. So um, I had to stop there for just a minute because uh, I've been praying this week with uh, someone who... uh, 
is really having a difficult time with their family, and their family is actually what they call family is not a safe place for them. And they're trying to figure out what life is supposed to be like because they've been conditioned in the world that tells them that they should value their family more than their own personal freedom. And part of what I've been doing with us this past month has been important, not just for work for us, for us to rethink this important word, family, but also been important for me because sort of I knew what we were doing, but I didn't realize how much of an impact it would make on my own thinking as I counsel with families and talk with people and work through very complicated things, meditating and thinking throughout the whole month on this word, family. Um, and so I want to just start with this passage from Mark as we begin. Uh, there's a famous, uh, from the 1980s, famous, very thick commentary on the book of Mark, which pretty much changed everything uh, in biblical scholarship, uh, New Testament biblical scholarship. And it was written by one of my favorite, absolute favorite authors, uh, scholars, theologians. His name is Chet Myers, and the book is called Binding the Strong Man. And those of you who sat in our reconciliation class, you got a glimpse of some of the way that he reads the story. But the heart of the passage uh, here, right, is that uh, you cannot, right, uh, you can't go into a house without binding up the strong man, right? You can't go in and plunder and undo things and uh, change things. And, and that's part of a conflict that Jesus is having with the religious leaders where they basically have demonized him. And he says, how can a family divided against itself uh, stand? And so he's saying, you know, if I am a demon, then how is it that I'm casting out demons? That doesn't make any sense. And then he says, you know, if you want to actually change the world, you have to bind up the strong man. And then he goes on the very next passage. He says, there's this uh, people who come out, there's his mother and brother and sisters, his family, and he says, no, my family are those that are here. And I think that those two things go together, and that's one of the things I want to talk to you about today. I think that what Mark is doing, what Jesus was doing, what Chad Myers is writing about is that the way to change the world, to undo injustice, to free the world from sin, for us to finally be free is for us to figure out how to be family together. Jesus is starting this nonviolent movement where he's gathering people together who have been hurt and outcast and lost and alone, and he's giving them a safe place to be together. And he's saying, we are now the family of God, the beloved community, the kingdom. This is what it's like. This is where freedom is found. This is where we learn together what it means to be human. This is, for me, one of the most important passages in Scripture because it's the heart of us show, showing us what Jesus is doing. In the Jesus movement, Jesus starts out by casting out demons, gathering people together who have been excluded, and then telling them, you now are together. I uh, am asking us this morning if we will consider what I offered last week, and we've been talking about this past few uh, weeks, is that family is not this ideal universal that has existed throughout history Unchanged. In fact, actually, the word family itself has changed throughout history. Fam family is rooted in a Latin word that actually means servant. Um, and then over time, Latin changed to mean servants and wives and children. So family would be there's a citizen, and then that citizen's family. Citizen is a property, property only male. And the family of that citizen are all the people that are at home. Those are the things that you don't have to do together. 
Anybody who's read any Aristotle on the thinking about the economy and family, that's kind of the heart of it. The way of thinking about family as the bedrock of society is really basically that the citizens don't have to worry about the family stuff. Family has not been the same throughout history. Family, our ideas of family have changed. And if we start to realize that, then that means that today we have the freedom as a community to ask ourselves, what should it mean? And I think that this passage from Mark gives us a glimpse at what Jesus would say as an answer to that question. What should families look like? Even more than that, I know that many of you have said you think of church as a family. But I want to ask us to be careful. Because when we say things like that, we need to be careful that we know what the, what the words mean. Most of the time, we don't even know what church is. And I don't know why many of you come to church, honestly. If I did, then I would probably be better as a pastor. But that's one of my jobs, is to sort of get a glimpse at why do you choose to take Sunday morning and instead of sleep in or go play golf or watch whatever's on the news, you choose to come here? I don't know the answer to that. And uh, I wish that it was the same for all of us, but it's not. We, for some reason, we choose to come and do this together. And then it's not just Sunday morning. It's a whole other host of things that we do as a community together. So when we use the word church, what do we mean? I don't know. But then when we use the word family, I think that we sort of do the word family an injustice by assuming that everybody knows what we're talking about. Um, and part of one of the, the, my objectives in doing this Family Matters series through the last couple of weeks is to let you know that sometimes family is a dangerous word. Like the person that I'm counseling right now who's going through a really terrible time, and family is not a safe place for her. Family is not a safe situation for her. And I'm not telling her, I'm not counseling her to leave her family, but I am counseling her to think about what allows her to be safe. How can she be safe? And if family is more important than your safety, you need to rethink what the word family means. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you as a congregation to answer this question together. How would we define what family means for us? And if we call our church family a church family, why do we choose to use that word? What is it about church that makes us think, that, uh, think of, about church in terms of a family? Or what is it about families that makes us think that we can call the church a family? Do those two words go together? Are we able to do that? And I want to I talk today, I want to give you sort of my first, uh, first shot at answering this question. When I do weddings, and you'll probably know this, uh, for those of you I've done a funeral or a wedding for someone that you love, you have to forgive me for doing this, but I often use the same formula when I do weddings and funerals. And so if I do a wedding for you and you hear, didn't he say that at the last wedding I was at? Yes, I did. Um, I, I change it up a little bit, but I use the same kind of concepts and ideas and language, and I try to help get a sense of what I'm talking about when I do a, a wedding. And I always start this way, that you are not marrying the person that you will be married to 5 or 10 or 25 years from now. And if this is a lifelong commitment that you're making, you need to know that you're making it with a person, but that you're not making it with the person that that person will be 10 or 20 or 30 years from now. You change. And the object of a marriage is marriage doesn't come because you love each other. Love comes because you get married. 
You get married and you spend time together and you learn what love looks like. And over the years, if you're really good at it, you start to learn how to handle conflicts together. You learn how to manage really tough stuff together. And then the fruits of the Spirit come out, right? Love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness. You learn what those look like from the committed relationships you're in. And when you're in those covenant relationships, sometimes it gets hard and you have to say, am I safe? And that's when it really becomes important. Because if you feel that the covenant relationship you're in where you're trying to learn to love someone is a not safe relationship, that's, that's important to know. And I would say then you start to ask the question of whether or not your covenant means anything. So that's one thing. But also... I think there's something else that those of you who have been married for a long time, and maybe you're good at this. I've only been married for a little over a decade, and I'm not good at it yet. But you have to actually spend time together, right? You have to spend time together. And uh, so, you know, whether that means a romantic dinner on a Friday night where you go out and spend time together and just celebrate each other or whatever. But here's the thing that happens if you don't spend time together. And I think that's one thing that's important to know is that you decide to make choices on your own without the other partner. Or you start to change and your partner doesn't. And then you start to change in different ways. And when that happens, your covenant starts to get weak. Because you forget that you were supposed to be changing together. When I make very important uh, decisions about my family, or decisions that are going to affect my family, like where I work, how much time I'm going to be spending at work. Those decisions I always make with my spouse. Why? Because if I don't, then I'm not including her in the decision-making process about decisions that are seriously going to affect her life. You have to make decisions together. You have to grow together. Now, we have been doing, I hope, some very serious work together. Maybe it's not been a serious and life-changing transformation was it, as I had hoped. I don't know. But if you have not been with us while we're talking about how to understand gender and sexuality, if you have not been with us while we're talking about trying to understand family, and you've not made the effort to sort of engage in the work that we're doing as a church, and that goes on too long, come back and you'll say, I don't know that community that's not the community that I used to know. Of course it's not. It's not supposed to be. Why? Because human beings are like running rivers. You never step in the same river twice, right? And communities are the same way. Communities, this community is not what it will be 10 or 20 years from now. Or 5 years from now. Or if we're really trying hard to do the work we're supposed to be doing, we will not be the same community next week than we are this week. You have to work together. So, what I want to ask you is, when you took your baptism vows, many of you may not have remembered it, but those of you who are married, when you did your wedding vows, how many people in this room, just a show of hands, I know that there's some different generations here, but those of you in this room, whether you're married now or not, whether you were in multiple marriages or this is the same marriage that you've been in for 50 years, how many of you in this room had an op opportunity to write your own marriage vows? Anybody? Okay. I think so, a third of the room, right? Uh, many people today choose to write their own marriage vows. Why? 
Well, because, well, for one, they don't no longer believe that just having the right liturgy makes a good marriage. Right? I don't know why people would have ever believed that anyway, but, but they do, right? If something goes wrong on the wedding day, if it's not just right, if all the magical pieces are not just right, the marriage is going to fall apart. But the fact that we get to write our vows together is important because now you get a chance on that day when you are making that pronouncement together to become a, a family, you get a choice to be able to say what you're promising each other. Most of us have never had the opportunity to do that with the church. And if you're going to call yourself a church family, that's the work you need to do. You need to decide, what am I talking about? Is this a commitment I'm really willing to make? Because here's the thing about baptisms, and believe it or not, baptism used to be, at the very beginning of the church, that was the moment when you made that family vow. That was the moment when you, it wasn't about you and God, it was, but not primarily. It was your initiation into the community. It doesn't mean that you don't belong if you're not baptized. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you if you're not baptized. It just means that you haven't had that chance to actually say to the community, I'm in this for good. If you were to do that, what would it look like? Marriages become officially marriages when I turn the piece of paper in at the, at the city council or the city hall, right? The municipal court. Baptisms become official when we write your name in a book that I have in my office. But ceremonially, right, marriages include the vows and they include some symbol, vows and a symbol, and then what else? A pronouncement, right? So I now pronounce you husband and wife or wife and wife or, you know, lifelong partners, whatever the language that I choose to use. So in baptisms, it's the same thing. There are vows, baptism vows, and then there's the symbol, which is the water. Just like the wedding rings. The water is like the wedding rings. You're marrying, you're becoming family with someone. And then there's the pronouncement. And what I did a few weeks ago, and you'll see this later, I always usually say, welcome home. So what I want to ask you today is, I'm, I, uh, I think we have a few copies of a questionnaire. And I'm going to pass it out, and I'm going to give you five minutes. And uh, I was going to do a baptismal remembrance service today, but I chose not to. And the reason is because the more and more I got into it, the more and more I realized most of you have never had a chance to actually think about the vows that you made or the vows someone else made for you when you became a Christian. Or maybe you haven't really thought about what the vows look like when you joined this church. I want to ask you if you would be willing to take the chance to do that. And I basically constructed this uh, set of questions the same way that I did, um, that I, in, in a very similar way that I do with couples as I'm counseling them, especially if they want to write their marriage vows. What is a family? What are the good things about it? What are the bad things about it? What are the, the commitments that you have to make in order to keep it? And so what I want you to do is I want, to take you, I want you to take a minute to turn to somebody, see if you can work through some of these questions. Don't spend too much time on all the rest of them because know that they build up to the last question. The last question is, is the most important. And uh, so listen to me real quick because I know that now you've got a piece of paper and you're looking at it rather than listening to me. But I want, I want to make sure that everybody knows this. On the last day of our stewardship campaign on November the 18th, we're going to have a baptismal remembrance service here. And I want you to hold on to these pages because what I'm going to do is on that day, I'm going to invite you 
to come with some words that you would like to share with the congregation about the commitment that you're willing to make with us. And on those commitments is going to be a little note card, and we're going to post them on the wall or on a, on a board or something, and then that will be the chance for you to remember your baptism. So I'm asking you well in advance to take some time to think for yourself. If you were going to write your baptism vows or your family vows to Brookside Community Church, what would it look like? And I think after doing that, then if you want to use the term church family, then I think it's appropriate. So take a few minutes, spend time with each other, see if you can get down to that last question, and now I'll call Halta in a few minutes and we'll have a conversation.